And welcome to the weekly review. It's Friday, November 1st. We made it to November, folks. 2019. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm joined here by Stormy Gell. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, thank you for having me, Roman. Yeah. So we are here to talk about The Whistle and the Trans Film Festival Mm -hmm. and many other things. Yay. Yeah. So you were in here... I would say maybe a year ago. Was it? Yeah, I was trying to figure out when it was. Maybe it was when I was just starting um, The Whistle. Yes. Yeah, so a year, maybe even a little longer ago. Yeah, I don't hard to remember. Yeah, and now it's going to be showing at the Trans Film Fest next weekend. Yes, next Friday. very excited to see it. (sighs) We just hopped right into the conversation, so I'm getting a little bit wired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, perhaps we could just start, if you wanted to start by talking about the film itself and what it's about and what inspired you to make it. Sure. So The Whistle is a documentary, uh, a little less than an hour long, that is about lesbian youth culture in Albuquerque, New Mexico in the 70s and 80s. It's very specific. (laughs) And um, it's called The Whistle because... And uh, so when I talk about this history and I talk about the folks that are in it, I'm also talking about myself. So I'm trans... um, and at the time, though I came out as a young lesbian, I am transmasculine. I don't identify as a lesbian anymore. I'm queer, um, and but but I very strongly identify with that part of my life and that part of my history. So there was a time when I identified as a, a girl, and there was a time when I identified as a young woman. Not always the same story for trans all trans folks, um, and how they're they kind of identify historic in their histories. But for me. That is a very important part of who I am and who I was. And so um, that part of my history is very important. At the time, so I'll say use we, we young lesbians um, in Albuquerque had kind of a code, um, which was a whistle. Mm -hmm. And it was a way of finding each other, a way of identifying each other, identifying ourselves to each other. And uh, just kind of a fun way to kind of call each other out in public. Mm -hmm. Um, But secretively, it was very, it was safe. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if I saw somebody walking down the street or at the mall uh, who had a mullet and was kind of butch, Mm -hmm. I would do the whistle. Yeah. And just to see if they would turn. And, you know, usually that was the case. They would turn maybe thinking it was their friends whistling. Uh-huh. See a stranger whistling and just kind of give the shy, the shy, the shy nod. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, vice versa. Sometimes I'd hear a whistle, think it was my friends. Sometimes it was. Sometimes it was a group of strangers kind of giving me the nod. I get shy nod. But it was just this really great way of um, safely identifying each other in Albuquerque. Oh, cool. And there were a lot of us. Wow. Yeah. There were so many of us that, like, we had this whistle that helped us, like, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, somebody's whistling, I'm definitely going to know them. Yeah. Um, it was, maybe I know them, I'm going to turn around, oh, it's people I don't know. Yeah. That's great. Um, what I have, so, I have so many questions. What did you find out, um, and I also don't want to provide any spoilers <laughs> or anything, because I do, I'm really excited about seeing the film. I was curious as to, like, the origins of the whistle, sure. as to what you're able to find out in terms of how and who created it. Mm-hmm. So I was able to find things out and mm-hmm. I don't want to give it away. Okay. But what I will say, one of the big surprises was when I started making this film, I was really thinking this was the decade of the eighties. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going out to talk to people who were out uh, in Albuquerque and identified as lesbians in the eighties. And what I found out was it goes back to the early seventies. Oh. And so the way it came to us was through some folks in the early 70s mm-hmm. um 
And it's not like a huge reveal in the movie. And I'm sure at some point it'll like get out and, you know, it'll be online and people talk about how it happened. Yeah. But I, I do want to kind of keep that. It, it, it's it's a nice just like bit of information to get when you're watching it. Great. Um, but it, I, you know, and I wasn't sure if it, when I made the movie, if it was going to be a big reveal. Yeah. Like, am I just going to go and investigate this? What is it going to be? Yeah. What I really ended up doing was hearing people's stories and hearing like basically my own history it was really awesome oh. like i got to talk to people that were maybe a decade older than me mm-hmm. and 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 more plus and um and really understand where my um my history came from in this particular time and place yeah and like really got to understand how and why i got to be who i was mm. And how I was who I was in high school because it was a really celebratory time for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't easy. We still yeah. had to, you know, deal with parents finding out or coming out to them and other students finding out and, yeah. you know, getting bullied and um, having those very real problems that we all had. It was, you know, I had friends that didn't graduate. I barely graduated because school was not a fun place to be because people would find out about us and, mm-hmm. and there was, uh, we were getting bullied. But we had such a strong, strong community, and there was just, we were represented all over our community. There was always places to go. There were always places to see ourselves. And so it was a very different experience than what a lot of people have experienced, especially around that time. I talked to people all over the place, big Mm -hmm. cities, small towns, who came out at that time, or at least knew they were queer at that time, but didn't have community or didn't know people like them and that's why i knew this was kind of a unique story yeah um because this place albuquerque's landlocked town (laughs) city um was really unique you know there were a lot of bars there were a lot of there was like one maybe two bookstores in the 80s i don't remember when the second one opened but there was one like lesbian feminist bookstore Mm -hmm. in the 80s that we would all go to to like just get to see more people like us there were parties house parties all over the place or we'd show up at softball games or there was just there there was just always a place to to find ourselves and each other oh it sounds really answer a lot of questions besides the first question you asked oh no it's it's all really informative and it's also just so important and i i'm sure i've mentioned this before but just how important it is to have that queer history Mm -hmm. that so many of us didn't have growing up whether through through schools or through history books if you, mm-hmm. you know and like what's omitted yeah. or even lied about yeah and just to have a sense of you know what came before it, it's really validating yeah yeah and it was it was very validating too like to live it and to to know that that happened but then to go and like hear like oh this was happening like like before us mm-hmm. this was like there were these these somehow these dykes in the 70s that were like really okay and confident and um and finding each other and there's just like there was just so like yeah i just it's hard to talk about and because it's hard to like it's just hard to explain how what that vibe was like and that there was that history there and that like it was just it was there when i came out it was just it was established there was just so much established Mm -hmm. already yeah yeah i'd imagine it must have made it like a little bit easier then for folks to come out 
if if one already knows that there are that they're not going to be alone in that sense absolutely yeah before like i really got i mean i think when i was younger i would think about it and it would freak me out and i would put it out of my mind immediately yeah and then in high school i started meeting people and my best friend was like oh come meet the people i play sports with and i was very reluctant i was like yeah no i think they're all like gay and i don't really know why you want me to keep keep wanting me to meet them and i was just kind of freaked out about it but i knew they existed and then yeah. i started to get to know them and i was like oh those folks are pretty cool and then i started to actually just like deal with my own feelings and um so i was very kind of reluctant until the first time i kissed a girl and at that point we called it being wrecked oh yeah <laughs> and i'm wearing hat. a hat that says wrecked <laughs> so that was like just the common language mm -hmm. um like who wrecked you or mm -hmm. like oh so-and-so wrecked me so you'd use it that way like as far as like who's who's the first person you kissed of like the same gender or whatever mm -hmm. and then you would also use it like um is, is that person wrecked oh yeah she's wrecked for days um, or don't wreck me in front of my boss. Like, don't out me. Like, you know, mm -hmm. um, don't try to kiss me in front of my, you know, don't wreck me in front of that person. So there was just like all those different ways of using it. It was a really common way of using it. So there's just like already this language. Soon after I came out, I learned the whistle, which mm -hmm. was kind of hard to learn, yeah. um, which kind of makes it special too. Is it yeah. seemed like a rite of passage? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> So it's it, um, another really cool thing was um, I premiered it in Albuquerque. Oh yeah, yeah. And there was like 550 people there. I think wow. it was at this old theater called the Chemo Theater, which was like a really dreamy place to get to screen this film. Uh -huh. um, and all of the participants were there. There, were, I interviewed 13 people, and. Um, so everybody was there, like this. Is, it was just this, like the the theater, and this theater's been another part of Albuquerque history. Is this theater has been packed full of queers before? Mm -hmm. This theater that seats mm, like six hundred and eighty people, it used to see almost a thousand, and it's been wow. packed full of that many queers in Albuquerque before because there used to be a music festival that happened there, like a oh. women's music festival. Oh, okay, and so again, this was like, and that was in the eighties. So this is like a. It's, I don't know what it is um, about Albuquerque, but it's very it's very uh very queer in a lot of ways um and so getting to be there again it was like a homecoming um and it was but this time you know in the past when i went i would go to this this festival called women fest and this time i was there and there were a lot of people from that yes moment there there were a lot of trans people there mm -hmm. Um, there were a lot of cis gay men there. There was just it was just full of like a lot of queer people oh. that came out to see this film and support, and people were really excited about it and really, um, it was probably the most lively uh, viewing that will ever happen of that film because it was in Albuquerque. Um, it was full of our people. People recognized each other and themselves oh, on screen, yeah. whether that's literally or not. Like, yeah. They recognized the places, they recognized the stories. Yes. Um, and so there was just a lot of laughing and talking back to the screen, <laughs> and, oh. like just like whooping and hollering, whistling like throughout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really exciting. Oh. Yeah. It, it was really dreamy. That's really cool. And I'm also imagining, yeah, for folks who maybe, you know, lived during this time but maybe didn't wouldn't have maybe thought that 
you know, 30 years down the road, 40 years down the road, that it would be revisited in such a way. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine it must have brought up a lot of feelings for people. Yeah. A lot of positive feelings. Yeah, it seemed really positive. And that's the great thing. It just seemed yeah. overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. Um, people were coming up and, like, thanking me. And, like, uh. I was also really nervous just, like, being this trans dude. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, when I first started doing a call out for the film um, on Facebook, and I was reaching out to a lot of people I knew um, who I thought would know a lot of people. Yeah. People I knew back then. And so they started they started sharing it and it started getting shared on social media. People started talking about it. I made like a little teaser. It wasn't the trailer, but it was just, it was it was much smaller. It showed a lot of pictures, a lot of me talking about the film. I had a couple phone interviews with some participants. So it had them in it, their voices in it as well. And um, people started sharing it they're like hey they're doing this guy's doing a film about us uh-huh. <laughs> i don't know this dude and so i like really had to go back and like explain like hey yeah i'm this dude doing a film about lesbian youth in the 70s and 80s i was there um i was one of you i'm trans this is who i am this is you know i'm happy to answer any questions you have yeah and people were like so receptive and wonderful oh that's great um we went to film let's see uh, I think it was like our second year of filming. We had um, like a, we created a a party, a reunion, so that we could you know get to talk to people, tell them about the film, and also film there. Yeah. And and maybe find a few more folks to interview. And we'd already interviewed that during that trip, most of our people and most of our participants. And I remember just being really nervous because I. Um, when people walked in, I was the first person they spoke with. Yes. I introduced myself. I told them about the project, asked yes. them to sign a waiver yes. um, or a release mm-hmm. um, for being there because we're going to be filming, but also just like explained who I was and why I was making this film. Yeah. And I remember these two older butches came in and I just like, I just got like, I, I got so scared. Yes. My heart started beating really fast and it, it, there was just this fear of, oh, these, they're going to like be, I don't know, offended for me being trans or having transitioned or feel betrayed. Cause that's a thing that happens sometimes. Yes. And I, yeah. I think I've experienced, um, sometimes with, with, um, other folks in community. Yes. And it's, it's rare, but it happens. It yeah. was my fear. Yeah. And, um, and I know like when I transitioned, I was like, am I betraying my sisters and mm-hmm. all that? Just mm-hmm. this whole kind of, you know, range of thoughts and fears and feelings. Yeah. So I remember just being really nervous mm-hmm. and this was all my internal stuff. I introduced myself to them. I explained who I was. I told them I was out as a lesbian at that time. And they were like, you're trans? I said, yes, yeah, I'm trans. So what, you're on testosterone? Yes, yes, I'm on testosterone. I've been for you know a long time. And they're like, damn, you look good. Oh, you're, we're so happy for you. You look Aww. so good. And they were just like so sweet to me and have been ever since like there was just so much love so much support and that night um at the screening in albuquerque the premiere i that i was up a little bit too like uh, i'm getting on stage and people were just like so wonderful and appreciative and happy and joyous and celebratory and i got nothing but that and the the participants got nothing but that like everybody was just like happy Oh, <laughs> it's amazing. Oh. Yeah, it was cool. Art can be so powerful. Yeah, yeah, and that, and like I like what you said. Like thirty years ago, nobody probably knew that this was like a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how his, that's that's history, right? Yeah. When you're making history. Um, you're living your life. You're surviving. Yep. You're you're doing the things you need to do to right. survive and take care of each other. 
and it's just kind of life yeah right yeah and, and all of these moments in history you know, many of them not all of them it's very interesting i feel like the moments of history that are in our history books they're created by um or that are you know kind of told by and lived by these moments these particular parts of these moments um of history that are told by like white cis men mm -hmm. um they know they're making history. There's this like, well, we're going to make history or this is a historic event. Yeah. There's a very like, this is a thing we're doing mm -hmm. and it's going to go. And this is the goal. Yeah. Right? The goal is that this thing we're doing, this place we're colonizing, this moment in time, this is going to be in the history books. This is going to be told for generations. We're, we're changing things. We're changing the future. And for folks of color, for trans folks, queer folks, um, people who are like like really like doing the work yeah. <laughs> and like just living yeah. and, and not like trying to just just trying to survive. Yes. These huge historical moments. We're not necessarily like Stonewall, I don't think anybody's like, We're making history. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, we are like surviving and fighting back yes. and 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 they made history. Yeah. Right. Um and the same with Compton's and like all these places, Cooper's Donuts. Like there's mm -hmm. People are just like responding. Yeah, responding to what needs to it's with something that needs to happen. Yeah, and that's all. That's making history. Yeah, and we don't know that we're doing that because we're just living and surviving. Yes, and caring for each other. Yeah, and to me, like, the, and those are the stories, of course, that go untold or that go less told. Yes, yeah, and we're so yeah, just the, the we were just a bunch of kids, like you know, learning how to <laughs> just. Mm -hmm thrive in the way that we could and you know if I, if I really look at it we were just like a bunch of horny teenagers <laughs> you know and how many movies have been made about horny teenagers <laughs> which i'm sure don't even have an ounce of this go to the 80s but of, yeah yeah i mean <laughs> but yeah but queer horny teenagers right yeah. like it really is like if i look back day to day it was just like oh like I knew somebody talked about learning the whistle so that they could identify like a fat she was femme and she was like yeah, yeah. people didn't know that I was queer and so yeah. I would whistle and my whistle was like hey I think you're attractive and if I know the whistle that means I'm a lesbian like hey yeah and you know we were always like going like constant I mean I was like you know, I've always been slutty <laughs> since day one. Yeah. I was just like, who can I make out with tonight? Who can I get with tonight? Like, yeah. That was just always the thing. Mm -hmm. And, but that was also like, we got to be teenagers when we were teenagers. Yeah. Which is not a common thing. Yeah. For a lot of queer folks. Yeah. At least back then. Yeah. And that reminds me, I just took a, a transgender health class at mm -hmm. uh, City College, which was great. And one of the exercises we did during the last, I think it was the last class was a list of rights or certain things that everyone should have access to however folks who are discriminated discriminated against um in particular in this case uh, trans folks might not and one of the pieces was being able to go out or date someone that you were attracted to when you were in high school so this kind of thing that i think maybe many folks take for granted is that during the coming out process in schools uh due to homophobia and or transphobia folks might not have a chance to start that dating process until much later when it's yeah. uh, either safer to do so or they feel like they're able to do so. And it's weird that that should be that that's that not everyone has that opportunity. Yeah. And there's so much emphasis put on that. Yeah. Right. There's so much emphasis put on coupling in high school yes. for straight kids, yes. for straight cis kids. Yes. Um, 
yeah the prom the homecoming mm-hmm. the, like who's who's dating who yes i don't know there's the cutest couple there's mm-hmm. all these things that are just like put in that like that are expected yes um oh do you have any girlfriends you know that kind of weirdness mm-hmm. and yet yeah queer queer and trans people is not a thing that that we have generally historically gotten to experience mm-hmm. at an age appropriate time yeah an age kind of ideal time or start to experience it in age appropriate time if that yeah makes sense. yeah definitely i mean all ages are, you know it's, it's always appropriate but just that that kind of time when like that's happening in our bodies it's happening in our minds and yet that's like cut off yes yeah and it can be really exciting and at this yeah at the same time if one doesn't have access yeah. to that it can feel Ugh. I mean, I'm going back in my mind now just for certain things. Like, even though I realized I was like queer when I was in high school, it was still recognizing I was queer than actually being able to date someone couldn't necessarily coincide based on either other folks not being out or be, you know, like not either having role models or knowing exactly how to move forward with that, I think, at the time. Yeah. So, um, however, if folks had been whistling, I think that would have perhaps, uh, <laughs> not only just made me realize that there are more folks. Um, however, I think it just would add, yeah, but as you were saying, like a sense of safety, certainly. And this idea that recognizing how many of us there are in the world. And I think that just does so much for one's mental health and self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, even people who are getting to be sexual, um, at that age with the people they want to be queer people queer and trans people it is often i think um or has been traditionally kind of in secret or behind closed doors yeah and to be able to be somewhere at a party yeah or even at a softball game where there's other like straight people around but there's so many of us that like we don't care yeah and so we will be sitting with each other we'll be holding hands or have our arms around each other and make out in the parking lot um or be at a party and be able to sit with the person we're dating or like, you know, make out and, you know, there's people around and it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I haven't really like the one thing I've thought is it's really cool that we got to be, um, teenagers when we were teenagers, but I haven't really thought about the details of like, Oh yeah, we got to like, just be with each other. Yeah. And whether it was partnered or not, whether it was like, you know, romantically or not, we, could do any you know we just got to do that yeah and around other people yeah and that's what teenagers do they go you know like right and not all teenagers have access to that sure but the teenagers who have access to that um you know who get invited to parties and you know get to to be um in you know just kind of engaged in that way yeah it's just it's just a given you know, they get to dance together yeah and they get to like cuddle and they get to do all, all the things they get to introduce each other to each other's families and yes. friends yeah so we, families was not the easier one but like we we definitely and but a lot of people did too but we got to you know we got to introduce each other to each other's friends and meet each other's friends and be with each other in front of each other's friends and yeah yeah i was curious if there, you also ended up meeting folks who maybe themselves identified as uh, non-queer or straight. However, they had queer parents or queer siblings. If those folks were connected at all, they were well, not not with the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I I talked to f- specifically to folks who were out. Uh-huh. Um, but queer siblings, people queers who had queer siblings comes up a lot. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, there's some themes in the film that were a little bit surprising. Yeah. Um, that you're just like, whoa, this thing that you didn't really that you thought was kind of an occasional thing happened a lot to mm-hmm. a lot of people in this in this film in particular. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like definitely like two sisters that I speak with. Oh, okay. Um, but there's also at least two other participants that yeah. have queer siblings. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, of 13 people. And are there more? I'm trying to think. So there's at least, there's at least, yeah, the two sisters that I knew back then and that were mm-hmm. sisters. And then there's another person whose sister actually makes an appearance in the film. Okay. Um, and then another person whose whose sisters don't appear in the film except for in a photograph. I think that yeah, that might be it for. But then others come up and yeah, yeah. Cool. I thought perhaps we could take a bit of a music break. Okay, and sounds then good. Be back in a bit. And uh, I'll be just chatting as I turn this record over, <laughs> and we're listening to a band from Seattle called Moon Palace and they played oh, Moon Palace. Um, at a show yes with Volvita and the Homemobiles and Side Pony at the Parkside this past Saturday and that would share some of their music so I'm going to play a little bit here and then we'll be back more with uh, Star Miguel Flores after this stay tuned
And welcome back to the weekly review. Hello. <laughs> uh, super cheery today. <laughs> yeah. So here with us, Stormy Gal Flores, and we are talking about the film The Whistle, which will be at the Transgender Film Festival on November 8th at the Roxy Theater in the Mission District. Yes. SFTFF.org for tickets. Yeah. And I was also hoping we could talk about Volvita. Yes, Volvita. So you mentioned that um, Moon Palace, who you just played a song from, also did a show with Homobiles, Side Pony, and Volvita uh, yes. last Saturday night. And I chuckled because Volvita, like we were, like you might just think we were another band playing that night, mm-hmm. but we were actually recording a scene in the upcoming movie Volvita, which is a rock you documentary uh about a uh quote unquote i say quote unquote riot girl band uh from the late 90s mm. if you are a true riot girl fan you know why i put quotes in that <laughs> um we thought we were riot girl <laughs> <laughs> but you know riot girl happened a little bit earlier than that yeah yeah <laughs> oh cool so um so yeah so we were we we're filming our our, our uh, it was our last day of a 10-day shoot maria bro uh who's a brilliant director and also a brilliant actor um had got a bunch of us together to to create this film she gave she directed us she made us uh improvise it was a, most of it is improv mm-hmm. and um she wrote some of the songs, uh, some friends of hers wrote some songs. I wrote one of the songs and basically we, um, have been creating this film over the past, you know, like I said, um, the filming happened over like 10 days very recently. Um, and, uh, that night was, um, one of our, was our final shoot. It was at a concert. Um, and that was at, uh, what was that? Um, the parks parkside the yeah. parkside yeah. yeah and um babbling about this one geez um it's a hard one to talk about because we're still like we just finished filming and we're gonna start editing and i am going to edit the mm-hmm. film and i am also i play a character gordon x garcia in uh-huh. the film the guitar player for volvita and um yeah that's do you have any questions <laughs> oh yeah i don't want to give it too much away just to that I had a fun experience being there and it I'm was looking really forward fun. to yeah, that was a fun night to, to seeing it. Yeah. I'm not sure what, I'm, you know, I think probably within the next year or so mm-hmm. there will be, at least there'll be like a work in progress screening next, um, spring. Oh, great. So, um, Maria will be, if you want to learn more about that, you can follow us on, if you do the Facebook, the evil, evil Facebook. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, but that's the one place we have a presence is, uh, on Facebook. We mm-hmm. will have more of a web presence, um, in the near future, but just look up Volvita, V-U-L-V-E-E-T-A. Mm-hmm. And I want to give a shout out to, uh, an old friend in Albuquerque. Everything, all roads come from Albuquerque. <laughs> um, um, my friend Farrah Beetle, um, who's the name Volvita was actually her fake band. In the oh, 90s. yeah. Okay. Um, so I played music in Albuquerque, mm-hmm. uh, back then I've, I've been playing music since I was a teenager and uh, I'm trying to remember if it was around the time of my band. Yeah, I was in a band, uh, an all-dyke band at Albuquerque. So and cool. What, were, what was the band called? It was called Two Fine Minds. Um, okay. Fine uh, was was a F period, I period, N period, E period. Do you know what uh-huh. that stands for? Um, I don't. Can we cuss? 
Pardon? Can we cuss? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Uh, fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Okay. Um, I think it, I don't know if it's like a. It might have been like at the time, like an AA saying, like uh-huh. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so um, our bass player came up with it. We were two fine minds. Uh-huh. And um, so anyway, uh, my friend said her band was called Volvita. She would always joke around, I'm going to start a band called Volvita. Yeah. Well, eventually people started getting the idea that Volvita was actually a band. Yeah. And so then she would talk about it like it was her band. And then people would be like, oh, I keep meaning to hear you come hear you play. And then I would do a show and people would be like, oh, I missed your show. And I would always say, well, you should have come. Yeah. Because Volvita opened up for us and they were amazing. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was just this like mythical. Yeah. It, it remains mythical, right? Yeah. It was a fake band. And, um, yeah, I just uh, I moved not too long after that. Otherwise, I probably if I would have stayed in Albuquerque longer, I really wanted to do these like post dated Volvita flyers and post them all over town. Mm-hmm. Post dated, predated, post dated, post dated. Yeah, post dated, right? I forget yeah. which is which. Anyway, oh, yeah. date them as if they'd already happened. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So people had, would think they just missed the show. Oh yeah. But I never did. But now, Farah has granted us permission to use Volvita for this film. That's great, and it's also not too late. True. To do True enough. post-dated flyers all around. I mean, True great enough. advertising. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you. Yeah, and also it's a great name, too. Right, Volvita. Yep. <laughs> cool. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, it was fun to act. Yeah. Uh, a little scary. The improvising part was scary. I'm not much of, like, I haven't acted for long. I've, I've acted, let's say, I've acted my whole life, mm-hmm. but not very much. Okay. So uh, I told I told Maria Bro that I wanted to act, um several years ago. Yeah. She's like, I want to act. I want to act. I've just never put the energy into it because I was focusing on music too much. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, okay. And then not long ago, she after that, she approached me to be like the title character in a short film of hers. Okay. And so it was just like, fine, you want to act? Boom. There. You're in the front. So it was a film car- called Socorro. Okay. And, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think you could find it online. S-O-C-O-R-R-O. Yeah. And, um... I I got to be in that film with Natasha Muse and that was really fun. That's right, yeah. And um so yeah, so Maria's just been like so supportive and wonderful mm-hmm. and like just that she brought me into that film and then brought me into Velveeta and we're playing with some other ideas for some future stuff too, which is very exciting. Oh, very cool. It'd be great yeah. to have her in here as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, it'd be great to have her here. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Excellent. Ah. Can you take so, a drink of water? Oh, yeah. So um, so yeah, the Trans Film Festival is coming up once again. Yes. And wanted to keep on plugging that because it's always just so great being in that space. Yes. And... It's going to be a great festival. It's from Thursday through Sunday. Uh, opening night is the film Transfinite. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a beautiful film with oh. a lot of folks that a lot of us know. <laughs> it's... Um, uh, I will have to think about it a little more to say more about it. Okay. But, um, cause I want to get it right. Sure. But, um, then there's, um, the night that the whistle plays, uh, a film called denim uh-huh. with, um, jazz Jennings is also, it's a short, okay. so that'll be, um, playing as well. So it's just gonna be denim and the whistle. And then the, uh, Saturday night, there's two programs that are going to have shorts. Okay. And Sunday, there's two shorts programs oh, as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, so that's very exciting. Very much looking forward to going. Yeah, so it's oh, it's um, so so Transfinite um, is directed by Nilu uh, Bowman, but um, and it's from my understanding of how it is um, was put together is that there was um, 
like I don't even know how many people there's I want to say there's like five to seven stories shorts within this film Um, they're all kind of um, magical fantasy a little bit some are kind of sci-fi-y so it's all these like trans and gender non-binary people of color who wrote these stories and that are acting in them and it's just gorgeous. It's so beautiful. And there's beautiful illustration that's kind of like these bookends for each story and that, that kinda of happen in between as well. And um it's just an it's just a beautiful um just like it's just like I can't even explain it's like just getting to be in the dream, like in just like beautiful trans nine bit non binary dream world. Oh. That's based in a lot of reality, but it's just like the ways we would like to see things and um the ways we'd like to see our futures it's really gorgeous that sounds beautiful yeah so that's thursday night it's okay worth checking out great thanks we will do so um we have a few more minutes left um is there anything else you'd like to promote or share either without music i'm also going to mention uh major which is the incredible documentary that you and annalise worked on and, yeah yeah so um i that's... just want to recommend that all the time and Thank it's you. a great film and really important Thank so, you. Yeah, I yeah. feel very good about Major. I um, had the honor of editing that film and um, co-producing. Yeah, and uh, it was it was really special to get to work on that. Yeah. yeah. And where could people find that if they wanted to? Um, <clears throat> it is available on Vimeo on okay. demand. Great. And uh, yeah. Excellent. Yes. Yes. And let's see what else. So we're also in early production for our next documentary, which is going to be about Sean Dorsey. Oh, yay. Um, Sean Dorsey is uh, the kind of first, like, renowned out trans choreographer in the United States, um, dancer and choreographer. And modern dance, let's say. Modern dance, yeah. Um, I got to learn my sound, sound bites for that one <laughs> since I'm making a documentary. Like, I know Sean so well, but like, yeah. oh, how do I, like, how do I explain, describe Sean in a sound bite? Mm-hmm. Um, and he does amazing work for yeah. trans artists mm-hmm. uh, locally and nationally and is doing a lot of beautiful activism um, in the dance field, mm-hmm. um, a lot of trans um, activism and um, disability activism and just really an amazing person and really talented. And his stories are... Um, really uh, just um, important. He yeah. tells them through dance. I know you've seen his work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I don't have the words to describe <laughs> it. It's just so, yeah, I mean, breathtaking. And yeah. uh, I think a lot of people yeah. think of modern dance as this kind of thing that's like, um, I don't know, academic or kind of not quite accessible to uh-huh. understand. And his work is so... Um, so accessible. Mm-hmm. He does storytelling, and um, it's it's like you're watching a play more than anything when you see his his shows. Yes, and he incorporates yeah. other voices. Um, so he will often like he'll interview folks. He'll interview um, trans elders. He'll interview um, different people in community, um, and get stories. And then he and his dancers um, who will will dance it out basically yeah and you'll hear often you'll hear recordings of those voices as that's happening mm. the music is gorgeous and it's all original music that he he hires uh, folks to to compose he's really good like he just really incorporates a lot of artists in his work <laughs> yeah mm. yeah and he also um 
he founded the Fresh Meat Festival. Oh, yeah, yeah. Town. Again, just really does a lot of beautiful work for and a lot of important work for trans and non-binary artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we're doing a documentary about him Excellent. and his um, next uh, work piece that he'll be working on over the next few years. Oh, great. Well, yeah. hope to have you, you both in here to, to chat about that. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Yeah, and I also want to give a big shout out to his partner Shauna Virago. Oh yes, who yes. Is the director of the San Francisco Transgender Film Festival. Yes. And um, that started was it 1997? Wow. I believe with Christopher Lee and Al Austin, and um, and still going today. Great. So yeah, thank you, Shauna. Yeah, thank you. Ah, oh, well, very much looking forward to the the programs hey. next weekend. Me and too. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. And yeah, if folks want to learn more about the whistle, you can um, go to dykewhistle dot com. And uh, we're on, you know, Twitter, the whistle film, Instagram, the whistle film, and Facebook. I think if you just put in Dyke Whistle, you'll find it. Cool. So yeah, stay stay up with what um, what we're doing and when we're doing it. Excellent. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is so much fun. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. It's really good talking with you. Um, Aw. Yeah. We're getting each other googly eyes. Y'all can't see it. (laughs) (laughs) Aw. Well, we're going to take another bit of a music break, and then we'll be back in a bit. Thanks again. Thanks. Yeah.
welcome back to the weekly review we are listening to the band moon palace from their album Shadowcast. you can find them online i believe they have a band camp as well they are from seattle if you go to moonpalacemusic.com you can find more info about them we'll be listening to more throughout the program we'll be ending maybe in about 45 minutes or so uh, again, big thanks to Storm Miguel for um, being here and sharing information about The Whistle. Very much looking forward to seeing that. Oh, yeah. So getting into some news because there's things happening in the world that we should talk about or at least helpful to know, I suppose. I currently am without a computer. So uh, oftentimes ask for funding for the radio station and or for this podcast. However, folks would like to contribute so uh, I could uh, get a computer that works. That would be super helpful. Feel free to, you can either, uh, how do folks get in touch? That's a great, you can email me at djrimer at gmail.com. If you're able to help, tip in a few bucks, super helpful. We also have a Patreon up for this podcast that would also help out. Patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Cool. So since I'm without a computer at the moment, I do have a small computer in the guise of a a cell phone because this is the world that we're living in and yeah so there's computers all around us and i'll be going over some news stories that way and i end up sharing a lot of information on twitter so folks can follow me on there at r-o-m-a-n-r-i-m-e-r i mostly retweet and share other items that i have read so I'll be going through a few of these items, and I did want to mention that the Chicago teachers who were on strike have ended their strike, and sending much love to all the folks out there who uh, are have uh, gone on strike. Okay, I'm a little bit out of sorts at the moment, uh, and I'll just be going through these and reading what I am able to. So, what to get to first? People are still protesting all around the world. There are protests now in Algiers. There are protests in Chile, in Bolivia, and many other places. Hong Kong, of course, many folks have heard about. And just many, many countries around the world that folks are protesting. I've been sharing information in Lebanon as well. If you, Ecuador... Uh, just, there's a lot. So I'm sharing this information on Twitter from folks who are there. And also, uh, officially, uh, the Los Angeles Times Guild has ratified its first ever contract. So the journalists of the LA Times are now officially working under a fair union contract for the first time in 138 years. That's the first time in their 138 year history. So that's a big deal. Wanted to share that. Also, so yesterday was Halloween for folks who celebrate that. And also, I wanted to share a tweet from someone uh, whose handle is at no name. And this person says, I'm trading in Halloween for Pock Day. And they share on October 31st, 1993, Tupac Shakur shot two off-duty police officers who were assaulting a young man. Charges were dropped against Shakur because the officers were drunk and in possession of stolen guns. <sighs> I wanted to share that. Also, moving along, not there's sometimes there's a segue in the show. Right now, I'm just going through these stories, so that's where we are. 
CCC Bay Area, which is Close the Camps Bay Area, folks can also follow on, on Twitter, says, this is from yesterday, we brought treats of our own to the Palo Alto neighborhood of Palantir Tech CEO Alex Karp tonight and gave out candy and hundreds of flyers to community members, reminding them that the scariest thing on Halloween is the deportation machine. And they have a link of a video that they brought, or they shared, um, that says it's flashing in red lights, something, something, nightmare on, and I think it's the person's street that he lives on. Oh, Alex Carp, nightmare on, it's flashing something, Rona Street. So the street that this person lives on. Yeah. Oh. So there's a little short video there. I've also heard that folks uh, are protesting Palantir in London as well. And there's more folks who work for Palantir in London than in Palo Alto. So grateful for the folks for, for showing up. Uh, and uh, there's a few bad things. I mean, there's it's the world. So yeah, of course, there's a lot of bad things that are happening. And also, just today there was news that... Uh, uh, the stupid administration and also of course recognizing that many administrations have caused a lot of harm. Uh, they've passed something which allows, let me get to the specifics of it, but it's discriminatory. It's a homophobic and transphobic policy. Uh, so organizations receiving taxpayer dollars, uh, health services are now allowed to discriminate under the guise of religious freedom and they can refuse to recognize same-sex marriages they can refuse health and housing services to people for being gay or trans so the national center for transgender equality has treated this and you can follow them at trans equality breaking the fuckface, excuse me 45 administration announced it will allow anti-lgbtq discrimination in all grants from hhs gov impacting federal funding for foster care adoption hiv and sti prevention youth homelessness and countless other public health initiatives it's really fucked up also the new rule would eliminate the requirement that federally funded organizations treat same-sex marriages as valid they've also said that they'll put these changes into effect today without allowing us time to formally oppose the new rule the impacts of this rule are likely to be felt far and wide since HHS offers hundreds of billions of dollars in grant funding every year that impacts millions of lives. We'll be watching for more developments, so stay tuned. It's pretty fucking terrifying. Ugh. Fucking awful. And... Just disgusting. This administration needs to end by any means. And when we talk about all the the protests happening around the world, and I know there have been plenty of protests here as well. Um, it's just a matter, I know a lot of folks, For it's about getting the folks out who have never been out on the street to, to protest. I know many of us have been time and time again. And what will it take? And in the history, if you look at history, it's through organizing and through protests and riots, boycotts, etc., and people showing up. Oh, I I just clicked out of the, the page. I was so disturbed by this. Anyway, we're going to find more news. And initially I was like, oh, maybe I'll only share positive news stories today because there are a lot of positive things that are happening and people are showing up in so many different ways. And also it's crucial to understand what's happening and to be aware of it. And I've been mentioning this on the show for years that we're kind of moving towards fascism. And... 
people need to, if you haven't woken up yet, I mean, I'm guessing that if you aren't afraid or upset about what's happening, that maybe you're not necessarily uh, someone who listens to this program a lot and in part. However, let's have conversations with each other and let's create the world that we want to live in. And maybe it seems like too little too late. California's on fire. There's a king. I didn't even mention that yet. There's a Kincaid fire up in Sonoma County. There's the Getty fire down in Los Angeles. Um, some of the Kincaid fire has been more contained now. I think it was at least two days ago it was at 60% or a day and a half ago it was at 60%. Um, but still it's leaving folks houseless. It's affecting the air quality. And also California brings in uh, folks who are incarcerated to fight fires and pays them really low wages, like maybe like a dollar an hour to fight fires. And when folks are released, sometimes they are often, they're not even allowed to become firefighters. So it's really this whole thing is just, it's everything is tied together and it's so fucked up. It's like climate change. It's PG and E not taking responsibility. It's them pay, paying their CEOs exorbitant wages while not using those funds to check infrastructure it's even more folks being without homes. It's uh, folks having their power shut off instead of PG&E taking accountability and people have died because they can't access their uh, ma- machines that they need for healthcare. <sighs> people going around in masks to breathe the air. It's and then also just the stress. It's a lot. And then also I was reading somewhere, I think in Healdsburg, um, which was the town was uh, evacuated and that one of the stations that monitors the air levels, they people had to evacuate that. So it's it was difficult for them to even get accurate readings. And it's just it's it's a climate catastrophe in addition to all the else that is happening and capitalism is having its fucking way and people are still defending it and uh, it's just so disgusting and disturbing. Oh goodness. There is still good in the world though. There is still good in the world and people are showing up and and helping out. So I don't want to end on a bad note and we will. Oh yeah. It's only one ten, So there's, there's more stories to get to. It's just also deeply, deeply concerning. <sighs> you can also follow the San Francisco film fest on Twitter at SF trans film fest. And I'll be when this, episode is up and running i will make a reminder to myself to tag them in this post as well so i'm going to go back to some more of the stories that i was looking at earlier and we do want to talk about the election that's coming up so there's that part of me that's like yes it's all about organizing and getting people together and showing up in any way we can and also in the meantime if we can have people in positions of power who at least want to challenge the status quo that is a push in the right direction so I'm going to get out the voter guide for the League of Pissed Off Voters. I read it previously on the show, and I'm going to read it again. So if you're in San Francisco and you vote, and it's not too late to vote, there's a lot of ways to vote, uh, to please do so. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of important things on the ballot. And also the main thing that I've been concentrating on is uh, Chesa Boudin for DA. The mayor appointed Susie Loftus, who's running against Chesa, because um, Gascon, George Gascon, somehow just decided to resign a few weeks ago or maybe a month ago or something, which is p- preposterous to do that right before an election. And the mayor just decides to appoint her own person. And she's already talking about 
<sighs> that's me sighing working more with the SFPD to like tackle car break-ins. And the thing is, it's like uh, criminalizing poverty isn't going to solve it. We know this. It makes things worse. I'm so angry. I'm so angry. Also, if you're ever around Nextdoor, I made the mistake. Well, I don't know if it's a mistake. It's just a, it's an interesting choice I made in life. One of the interesting choices I made in life was to join Nextdoor because I was interested in pet sitting work anyway it's mostly folks being like someone stole my succulents and like i don't know this person let's call the cops on them that's that's next door in a, in a nutshell to me in my opinion i'm sure there's some other things that happen on there that i'm missing that's the majority of people saying someone clipped my succulents without permission and other people being like i can't i don't know what's happening we should contact the police as the first means of doing anything instead of talking to your neighbors. Hello. That's what the platform is ideally for is to get to know your neighbors and to get to know your community and to help each other and to share information and resources instead of relying on the state to punish people who are trying to survive. Oh, okay. So I, I don't have an app. If I did, it'd be called like, let's not get an app. Let's actually talk to each other. Okay. So league of pissed off voter guide. It's November 5th is the election. And there's a lot of other voter guides out there. There's the San Francisco Bernie Kratz have a voter guide. Juanita Moore has a voter guide. And voting logistics. Let's read it. Okay, so early voting has already started. It started on October 7th. On October 21st, deadline to register to vote. So that's already happened. Okay, there's weekend early voting in City Hall from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. I did this one time. I went to City Hall and I voted there. That's just a story with a... Beginning, middle, and end, all in one sentence. Okay. Um, November 2nd to the 5th. So it was just tomorrow. Early voting starts at SFSU Towers Conference Center from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Weekends, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on weekdays. And on Tuesday, November 5th, it's election day. Polls open at 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. If you're in line by 8, you can vote. Where's your polling place? Call 311 csfelections.org or just go to city hall non-citizens can vote on board of education parents and caregivers of school-aged children can vote for school board candidates former felons can vote even if you've committed a felony you can vote as long as you're off parole don't let the man disenfranchise you and that's that's the words in this pamphlet here slackers can vote election day voter registration miss the 1021 deadline to register to vote head directly to city hall do not pass go to register and vote right up through election day from november 2nd to the 5th you can also register to vote at sfsu towers conference center now get out there and make us proud youth can vote if you're 16 or 17 pre-register and your registration will be activated automatically when you turn 18 for local offices, there's no endorsement for mayor. Um, for Board of Supervisors, District 5, Dean Preston. Dean Preston, Dean Preston. Yeah, um, I I go by that District 5 a lot, and I have seen a lot of Valley Brown signs, and also I want to encourage folks to vote for Dean Preston instead. I have a story about this. Do I? Valley Brown uh, did evict people years ago. She was a landlord who evicted families. Do you really want someone like that in charge of making decisions in your life? I don't. All right. Next up, uh, the city attorney, they say Dennis Herrera. District attorney, Chesa Boudin. Public defender, Manohar Raju. Sheriff, no endorsement. Treasurer, no endorsement. Board of Education, no endorsement. 
Community College Board, Ivy Lee. Local propositions. Yes, on Prop A, which is $600 million affordable housing bond. Yes, on Prop B. Representation for disabled and aging adults. Hell fucking no on Prop C. Let Jewel write vape law for the children. Yes, on Prop D. Teeny tiny traffic tax on lip... lip, lip, lip. Excuse me, let me try this again. Teeny tiny traffic tax on Lyft and Uber. It's a tongue twister there. Yes, on Prop E. Finally, affordable housing for educators and families. And yes, on Prop F, sunlight on dark money. Open up this guide for highlights on the most important things on the ballot and check our online guide for the full Monty. HTTP colon forward slash forward slash theleaguesf.org. I am tempted to replay the interview I did with Chase Boudin because I think it's so important. Ugh, I've already played it a couple times on the show. And um, yeah, let's see if we can find it on the computer. I'm going to uh, walk around with the mic, see if we can get that all set up. It's about like a 20 minute interview. So that should take us towards the end of the show. I'm switching mics now. All right, this is working. And uh, yeah, I just really, really, really want to encourage folks to also let other folks know to vote for Chesa. It's a big, it's a big deal. And recognizing that the system itself is, I mean, it's working as it's designed to, which is causing a lot of harm for a lot of people. And we need someone who can, you know, recognize that and wants to make change and hold police officers accountable. A lot of folks are coming out in support of Chesa. Uh, he's been endorsed by Angela Davis and Bernie Sanders and uh, the mother of Mario Woods. He's been endorsed by the San Francisco DSA, um, Sean King, um, many more people, and um, Sandra Lee Fewer and, and Matt Haney from, who are on the Board of Supervisors, and more people that I believe I'm forgetting at the moment. However, it's really, and Shahid Buttar, it's really important for folks if you do vote in San Francisco to vote and for Chesa, it's yeah. I'm trying to use this platform as a way of creating change. And I think voting is one of the, you know, it's one way it's by no means the only way it's not necessarily the best way. It is a way. And it's something that requires so little time compared to a lot of other things. And I feel like, I don't know. From my perspective, the least I can do is I do the mail-in ballot, fill it out, drop it in the mail. That requires, uh, it's a little something. It's a little something, and it's better than nothing. So let's go ahead and going to find the previous episode here. And it looks like the internet's back up and working at Mutiny Radio. So really grateful for that. I'm going to log in here again you're listening to mutiny radio we're on Ohlone land and if you'd like to hear more about that and or read more about that you can go to r-a-m-a-y-t-u-s-h dot com and read more about the history of the people whose land we're on also you can donate to the shumi land tax and that's s-h-u-u-m-i land tax and you'll be brought to the sagorate land trust page and you can find ways to support and give back two folks who were on this land and are still here. So moving along, I am talking as I'm doing things. Oh, why don't I just play some music? Hello. I'm going to flip over this record and 
making sure we don't have any dead air here. I'm going to, with one hand, try to flip over this record while holding the mic. No, that's not working. Okay. Ah, all right. Going to flip over this record, and now we'll go back to playing side A, as we were playing before the show started. I'm just narrating everything because we're on the radio. And playing side A of the Moon Palace record. And uh, hopefully, uh, in a little bit, we'll just uh, be ready to start... uh, playing that previous interview with uh, Chesa Bodine. Stay tuned.
influence his, the person who's running against him or the person against him who the um, mayor has put in and uh, we'll be uh, playing this interview in just a moment here getting everything together operating a few different things at the moment and also just a note that the Police Officers Association has put forth, I want to say, over $600,000 in false advertising against Chase Abudin, including attack ads on TV, uh, mailers, all these things saying, oh, he wants criminals to go free when that's not what's happening at all. They're really just doing a lot of fear-mongering to get folks to vote for the status quo, which, as we know, includes criminalizing poor, harming people of color, the police going about and just causing a lot of harm. So we want something different. We want people who will hold these folks accountable. Now, let's see if we can... So in the meantime, I'm going to play a little bit of a music break, and then okay. we're going to go into... I am talking as I am listening. The interview with Chase. To the previous interview, just trying to get it all set up as we're going on different computers at the moment here. And... San Francisco, there's the pissed off voter. Gonna guy. get it all set up for everyone here. Him. The Juanita Moore has also endorsed him. Didn't have a. have endorsed him. So again, November 5th. to do this ahead of time. So vote for Chase Boudin. And yeah. Also, if you're. And I thought we'd had it up here, but looks like it's just taking a little bit of time. So, so again, you're listening to Mutiny Radio. Going to put on some music. And yeah. There's shows here every day of the week. There's also spaces for rentals. So if you're interested in renting a space here, you Again, can totally do so. Thank you to, uh, to folks tuning in. Here. And if you'd like to support the station. It's really meta right now listening to myself from last week yeah. also having the same issue. Trying to There's get everything a... set up the right way. But that's how life is sometimes. You can plan and prepare and still at the moment things There's might a, not go. Uh, donate as... button. Wow. You know, I easily... As we would like them to. So I'm going to push up a little bit further along, see where we are now. Okay, so it's after this song. Can I just. Alright, so after the song, we will hear the interview.
and welcome back to the Weekly Review. Joined here by Chesa Boudin. Chesa, thanks for being here. Great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I thought we could start off if you wanted to talk a little bit about what brings you into the studio? It could be pretty much anything, but whatever you'd like to start with. Well, I'm excited to be a candidate for San Francisco district attorney. The election mm -hmm. is about 39 days away from today. Mm -hmm. And it's a really unique and exciting moment in San Francisco history. It's the first time in over a century where there's no incumbent running for reelection. Mm -hmm. And it happens to coincide with the first time in, in really any of our lifetimes when there's been a broad national consensus that the criminal justice system is broken, that the status quo approach is not making us safer, is wasting tax dollars, and is destroying families and communities. And it's that intersection of San Francisco circumstance with national criminal justice reform movement that led me to decide to run for San Francisco district attorney. Mm -hmm. And I think many folks could argue that the criminal justice system isn't indeed broken, but it's working as it has been designed, which is to cause a lot of harm for many people. Right. Two sides of the same coin. Yeah. It's, a, it's a question of framing. What we know is it's costing us about 10% of our state budget just for the Department of Corrections. Oh. That doesn't account for local expenditures at the county level. And we know that it's a system of mass incarceration where the United States leads the world in locking people up, 25% of the world's prisoners. And we know that the impact of that incarceration rate is not evenly distributed. It's right. much more likely to fall heavily on black and brown communities, on uh, LGBTQ communities, transgender communities. And um, in San Francisco in particular, we have a horrific problem with racial disparities in incarceration. About 4% of the city's population is black, but more than 50% of the jail is black. And, and that's really one of the most visible manifestations of, of what people have come to call mass incarceration. Yes. Yes. And also we've seen like with the homeless sweeps too, like homeless folks and I think folks with, uh, are mentally ill are also can be victims of police violence quite a bit as well. We've yeah. Seen. We, we've seen over decades of increasingly tough on crime policies an approach that really criminalizes poverty, mm -hmm. criminalizes mental health, uh, and criminalizes drug addiction in ways that are not only inhumane and uh, wasteful of resources, but also actually undermine public safety. And my campaign right. is really all about bringing um, a new, fresh approach to criminal justice, one that takes a broader view of the context in which crimes are committed, mm -hmm. and that focuses on trying to prevent crime and heal the harm that crime has caused, rather than simply punishing people right. who've committed a crime. Yeah, absolutely. I was reading a, an op-ed earlier that folks had written about how police are sometimes brought into the ideas to solve the problem, but they end up causing more of the problems. One of the things we see, that's exactly right. You know, one of the things that we see, especially in high crime neighborhoods and in heavily police neighborhoods in San Francisco and across the country, is that many people who are victims of crime, whether it be domestic violence or shootings, hesitate to call the police to report crimes because of their fear, in some cases of retaliation, mm -hmm. but in many cases, fear that the response by the police will actually re-traumatize them or create more problems than they're suffering at the hands of their abusers. That's something we need to change. And it has to start with restoring the integrity of the police department, restoring and rebuilding the trust between communities and law enforcement that's sworn to serve and protect those communities. I, Pardon me, I'm a little bit skeptical of 
being able to, if the if it's systemically, if police have been brought in to, in many ways, protect property and wealthy folks, is it possible then to even save that institution? Is and is it even worth saving? Well, so I think that's that's the challenge is to find ways to make sure that our law enforcement is not just working for, to benefit and protect the few, mm -hmm. but is actually working for all of us. So I've dedicated my life to ensuring that the criminal justice system benefits everybody, protects everybody, mm -hmm. not just the rich and powerful and yeah. the well-connected. And we know that in San Francisco as across the country, all too often, whether you're a crime victim or whether you are someone who's accused of committing a crime, the quality of justice you receive depends on the color of your skin, mm -hmm. what zip code you live in, mm -hmm. and how much money you have in your bank account. Right. And that's got to change. And that's why I'm running for district attorney. Cool. Great. So what got you interested in uh, deciding to pursue this path? Well, let me take you back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. When I was born, yeah. my parents uh, dropped me off the babysitter. I was about 14 months old. Mm -hmm. And they had it off for the day, told the babysitter they'd pick me up that night, mm -hmm. but they never came back. While I was at the babysitter, my parents participated as unarmed drivers in a tragically bungled armed robbery that mm -hmm. left three men dead. Mm -hmm. and those men had families, had children. Uh, those families were torn apart by the crime my parents participated in. Mm -hmm. Even though my parents weren't killed or physically injured that day, our family was also torn apart right. because of the crime my parents committed. My mother ended up serving 22 years in prison. Mm. My father is still incarcerated. Mm -hmm. He may never get out. As a result, my earliest memories are going through steel gates, waiting in lines of mostly black and brown women and children mm -hmm. just to see my parents, just to give them a hug. Years, decades now of visiting my parents in prison taught me some hard lessons about how broken our criminal justice system is. Broken for victims of crime who have so little to show mm -hmm. for the billions of dollars that we invest in punishment. Broken for the people who've been convicted of crimes, who go to what we call the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, mm -hmm. but where we know no one is being corrected or rehabilitated. Right, and we right. have recidivism rates of above two-thirds in California Oof. and even higher in San Francisco County Jail. Mm. And of course, the system is also broken for the communities where crimes are committed because those communities are being torn apart. Instead of investing in education, building new schools and universities, mm -hmm. California has focused for decades on building new prisons. Yeah. Instead of providing equal justice, mm -hmm. we've got this horrifically discriminatory system that undermines public safety called money bail, which I'm proud to say I've fought for years mm -hmm. to end. Um, and it's, it's uh, those kinds of problems that I saw firsthand yeah. growing up, day in, day out, going into prisons to visit my parents, um, receiving phone calls from them on recorded Department of Corrections mm. phone lines, and thinking about how little punishing my parents was doing to heal the harm that they had caused. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's that, that's sort of the life journey that led mm -hmm. me to decide to become a San Francisco public defender. Mm -hmm. As a public defender, I represent people who are too poor mm -hmm. to hire their own attorney to make sure that they also have equal justice. Right. As San Francisco's next district attorney, my goal is going to be really similar in some ways, to yes. make sure that everybody in this city, no matter how wealthy they are, no matter how well-connected they are, mm -hmm. has equal justice under law. Yes. And I've been hearing about a few other district attorneys uh, across the country who have also, like there was Tiffany Caban, I believe, in, in New York, and there was also was a 
person in, I think, Pennsylvania, like Larry Krasner. Krasner. Yeah. Yeah, this is part of a national movement. Mm -hmm. um, you've named a couple. Um, Tiffany Caban came within 55 votes of, yeah. of winning her race. Yeah, really I'm disappointing. Have, I'd announced that because initially I think at first they reported that she had won and Correct. I reported it on the show. And then I was sad to learn that was not the case. Correct. It, you know, it was one of those situations where uh, she was ahead by over a thousand votes mm -hmm. on election night. Yes. And then, you know, the machine was against her from day one. Yes. And yes. she was running a grassroots campaign. Um, it was really people powered. She never had the, the fundraising or the institutional support. Mm -hmm. And when they did a recount, um, they magically found enough ballots that, and, and threw many of hers out to where she ended up losing by 55 mm. votes. But I'll tell you, you know, her uh, election and her movement mm -hmm. has inspired people around the country. Yes. Um, it certainly yes. has energized our campaign, mm -hmm. helped generate volunteers for our campaign here in San Francisco. And I'm really honored to be supported by not only Tiffany Caban, but as you mentioned, Larry Krasner, mm -hmm. the elected district attorney in Philadelphia, as well as Kim Fox. Oh, yes, in Chicago. In Chicago, yes. exactly. And Rachel Rollins in Boston. Mm -hmm. You know, these are the people who are really leading our progressive criminal justice reform movement, mm -hmm. who are finding creative ways to reduce mass incarceration, mm -hmm. reduce racial disparities, mm -hmm. increase transparency and accountability for police and other law enforcement agents while keeping our community safe. And I'm really lucky to have their support and to be able to work with them mm -hmm. on implementing um, successful policies that they've modeled in their jurisdictions here in San Francisco starting in January. That's great. So what if so if folks are interested in like helping your campaign, are there ways people can volunteer and or help to get the word out? Absolutely. Um, we are a grassroots campaign mm -hmm. and we depend on people power, creativity, energy, um, you name it, it's really coming from our volunteer base. Mm -hmm. There are lots of things people can do uh, depending on their skills. We'd love to have people phone bank, knock on doors, um, help out around the campaign headquarters, social media. Mm -hmm. um, the best thing to do is go to our website, www.chesaboudin.com, C-H-E-S-A-B-O-U-D-I-N.com. That's C-H-E-S-A. B-O-U-D-I-N.com. You can sign up to volunteer. You can sign up to have a window sign delivered to put in your window. Oh, yeah. We'll put uh, one up here. Oh, great. Yeah. I think, I think we have one. Uh, we, can, we can leave with you at great. the end of the show. Um, and there's lots of other ways people can get involved. So mm -hmm. we, we'd love to have support. And you know, we really look at this as more than just an election campaign. We're, we're building a movement, um, and it's going to continue. The organizing and the grassroots energy has to continue after Election Day. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how we're going to effectuate the kinds of changes that we're committed to. Excellent. Yes, I believe um, I saw you. I I've, have volunteered a bit for Shahid's campaign. And so I, I believe I saw you at the farmer's market. Uh, That's right. I think we were at the, in the inner sunset, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a great farmer's market. I've lived uh, in the outer sunset for many years. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, the inner sunset farmer's market is, is close to my home. Always been one of my favorite locations. And we have a lot of supporters in that neighborhood. So I'm always happy to go and and uh, get a snack and talk to voters. That's great. Is there anything else you'd like to share? We do have some more time. However, I know you're on a, a time crunch, so. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. There are a couple specific issues I'd like to talk about mm -hmm. that are real priorities for me in the campaign and also a couple things that I'd, I'd like to share that I'm proud to have worked on over the last few years. Because yes. I think when it comes to deciding who to vote for, mm -hmm. for me personally, one of the most important things is not just the rhetoric that someone uses or the promises that they make, but also the track record that they have. Mm -hmm. And so I think, 
you know, the reason I've been able to uh, build such a big movement and, and have so many volunteers is really because of my life's work. The perspective that I bring mm -hmm. as someone who's had parents in prison and who's worked every day in the Hall of Justice for so many years, uh, but also because of the work I've done. And, and, you know, one of those projects that I've led is around money bail. And I mentioned that earlier, but, mm -hmm. you know, San Francisco and, and all of California has a system where a wealthy person can buy their way out of jail, mm -hmm. no matter how dangerous they are. Mm -hmm. While a poor person who may be wrongfully arrested, wrongfully accused of a low level crime with weak evidence against them, will languish behind bars simply because of their poverty. It's a system that is both discriminatory and also undermines public safety. Mm -hmm. And so for many years, I've led litigation efforts in state court. We now have a case pending before the California Supreme Court. And in federal court, where I've won um, reversals of local practice from more than five different federal judges that have agreed with our argument that this undermines public safety and that this is something which discriminates explicitly, violates equal protection, mm -hmm. violates due process. As district attorney, I'm committed to ending money bail, mm -hmm. to never allowing my staff to put a price tag on freedom. If someone is too dangerous to be released to the community, then the fact that they're wealthy doesn't make them safe. Mm -hmm. And if someone can safely be released with appropriate conditions, right. the fact that they're poor should not be an obstacle to allowing them to go back to their family and community. Of course, yes. Now, there's another area that I think today with the racist Trump administration is more important than ever, and that's immigration. Mm -hmm. The Trump administration is using xenophobic nativist policies and rhetoric mm -hmm. to divide this country. It's using hate for immigrants as a way to drive a wedge between communities mm -hmm. and to scapegoat. It's a tremendously dangerous time across the country because of that really a scary approach that the Trump administration is taking. Mm -hmm. I'm proud to be the only candidate in this race who has a long track record of pushing back against ICE, standing up for our immigrant communities. Mm -hmm. um, and I've committed to creating an immigration unit mm -hmm. in the district attorney's office once I'm elected. Let me tell you why. When local law enforcement cooperates with ICE, it undermines public safety. Mm -hmm. It distracts our resources that we need to be spending on local law enforcement priorities. And it undermines trust in immigrant communities mm -hmm. and makes it less likely that immigrants who are victims of crime or who are witnesses to crime will come forward and cooperate with local law enforcement. Mm -hmm. If we want to provide equal justice, if we want to protect everyone in San Francisco, mm -hmm. we need our immigrant communities to know that we have their back, that right. we will never cooperate with ICE. And I'll tell you, back as recently as 2012, in 2013, San Francisco still handed people over to ICE. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you got arrested as an immigrant in San Francisco and taken mm -hmm. to jail, at the end of the case, even if you were acquitted of all charges, even if the district attorney decided not to file charges against you, mm -hmm. the sheriff would hold you until ICE came and picked Ugh. you up. Now, I had a client in that situation mm -hmm. back in 2012. She was a grandmother from El Salvador charged with shoplifting Christmas presents from the Gap for her grandkids. And at that time, everybody said, there is nothing you can do. She's going to get deported. She's going to get handed over to ICE. And, I, you know, luckily I've been to El Salvador. I've lived in Latin America. I mm -hmm. speak fluent Spanish. And I begged her to give me time to not listen to or accept that 
this was a hopeless situation. Mm -hmm. And I built a coalition. I worked with immigrant advocates across the city. I worked with her family who played a leadership role. And we persuaded the sheriff that he had not only the legal power, but the moral obligation to stop cooperating with ICE and to let her take responsibility. She pled guilty to mm -hmm. shoplifting and then go back to her family and her grandkids. Mm. After that case, we did it again and again until we persuaded the sheriff to institute a policy. And ultimately, the Board of Supervisors passed a few months later a sanctuary city policy that mm. I'm proud to say I'm going to continue to defend as San Francisco's next district attorney. Great. Yeah, that's crucial. That's the track record um, that I've got. And here are some of the things we're going to do in keeping with that track record mm -hmm. once I'm elected. First, treat mental illness before crimes are committed, mm -hmm. not wait until people commit a crime and go to jail. Today, San Francisco's county jail is the number one provider of mental health services. It's mm -hmm. a disgrace. It's mm -hmm. ineffective. It's inhumane. And perhaps worst of all, it guarantees that we're going to have more victims of crime because we refuse to address the root causes until after someone is victimized. Right. That's got to change, and it will on day one when I'm district attorney. Second, we need to treat survivors of sexual assault with dignity, and that starts with testing every single rape kit. Mm -hmm. When someone has the courage to come forward after a sexual assault, submit their body to an invasive evidentiary gathering process, mm -hmm. cooperate with law enforcement, and then have law enforcement say, we're not going to even bother to test the evidence. We're going to let it gather dust in the evidence room shelves. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening today in San Francisco. That's what's been happening in San Francisco. And it will change when I'm district attorney. We will test every rape kit and treat survivors of sexual assault with dignity. And I'll give you one last example of something I'm committed to doing. Mm -hmm. Today, victims of crime are largely excluded from the process. Mm -hmm. Often, they never hear from the district attorney's office until and unless they receive a subpoena in the mail. Mm -hmm. I'm proud to be the only candidate in this race to have committed to requiring my staff to contact every victim of every crime. within 48 hours to give them a voice and to give them the right to participate in a restorative justice process that can help heal the harm that they've suffered instead of just using them to punish the people that have harmed them. Wow. Well, thank you very much for, for sharing that. It's my pleasure. Uh, yeah. I'm really excited about the possibility of working uh, with so many of the people in San Francisco, the community groups and organizations that yes. endorsed me, the labor union, mm -hmm. the community activists um, who are part of this movement and who recognize that we can do a much better job keeping our community safe and treating people with dignity. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. Thanks for your time and yeah. uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks to Chase Boudin for being here. We're going to take a bit of a music break and then wrap up the show in a little bit. Thanks so much for tuning in to Mutiny Radio. All right. And we're signing off. I got to run. Thanks again for tuning in. Vote on November 5th. And we'll be back next Friday. And have a great weekend, everyone, and week. And it's going to get things moving here in a second. Ah, technology. And also feel free to check out our archive at mutinymedia.fm, as well as all the other shows here at the station. 
going to go into the breaker and uh, some other shows for you. Have a great week, everyone. Watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear, too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Terrace, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Permanent Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834. Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Michael Spiegelman.
Apply now for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2020 coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. But you can apply now through November 30th. 50 shows in seven days, over 50 comics from all around the U.S., and you could be one of them. Go to the Mutiny Radio website, www.mutinyradio.fm. Click the Apply button. Pay that 20 bucks. Donate to Mutiny Radio and apply with your five-minute video to the Mutiny Radio 5th Annual Comedy Festival coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. Submissions close November 30th. Get those submissions in now. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Venice. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. 